the scripture before the lesson of Matthew chapter 27, starting with verse 15. Chapter 27, starting with verse number 15. And this will be in the King James Version. Now at the feast, the governor was wont to release the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Then when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye will release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? And he knew that envy they had delivered him. When they was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent him, saying, Have you... Have thou nothing to do with this just man? For I have suffered many things this day in the dream because of him. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will you have I release unto you? But they said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a turmoil was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just man, of this just person. See ye to it. Well, I appreciate your presence this morning. It's good to see each of you. Glad we can come together and and worship today and uh, honor our Lord in heaven. Uh, I do need to make one statement. I apologize to Clay. I did not tell him this. Matthew and I had talked, and, and we're not going to participate in the teen singing today. Therefore, uh, the teens can uh, go and, and be with us at Martin Boyd if they choose to do that. So we're not going to be traveling to the teen singing. Also, uh, I was going to do this after the sermon, but uh, I think uh, the sooner the better. Brother Zach, he came to me, and, and he's repenting of sin in his life. He has uh, uh, gotten off track just a little bit with some issues that he's been dealing with for a while, and, and uh, he uh, slipped up some, and, and he recognizes that, and he wants to uh, be forgiven of those things. He wants to uh, ask uh, the congregation to forgive him for not being strong and faithful as he ought to, and he wants God to forgive him also. So let's go to God in prayer on His behalf this time. <clears throat> Our Most Holy Father, we are thankful for Thy love. We're thankful for the avenue of prayer. We're thankful that we can come before Thee on behalf of ourselves and each other and, and ask for the forgiveness that we so desire. At this time, we ask that Thy forgiveness be upon uh, Zach. He has repented of the things and confessed those things that he's done, and he wants to be faithful in thy side, and he wants to be able to be with uh, the faithful in eternity. Father, please forgive him. Please strengthen him. Uh, we pray that we can do uh, all that we are able to help him in his uh, battle against sin, just as the rest of us battle it on a daily basis. 
All this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The world has lost its perspective on personal responsibility. I think that's a fact that we're well aware of. I think we can see it, and it is very apparent in our own nation today. There is a desire to not shoulder personal responsibility. But that's not really anything new, is it? Pilate lost his perspective on personal responsibility, if he ever had one. When he took that basin of water and he said, I am free from the blood of this just man, and he washed his hands. Now he did not get the result that he had hoped to have gotten by doing that. But the problem with his reasoning and the problem with so many people in the world today who believe and think that same way is that once you are responsible, you are responsible. And there's not anything you can do about it. Once we are responsible for something, then that's where we are until we leave this earth. You buy a home, ask the bank if you're responsible for it. It doesn't matter if you want to stop paying or not, right? You buy, you buy a car, are you responsible for it? Absolutely. We are responsible for things in this life when we take that responsibility upon us or when someone places that responsibility upon us. Sometimes we have responsibilities placed upon us, don't we? Maybe we didn't ask for that responsibility, but we have it, and therefore we are responsible. Y'all read about a man who was suing a hospital because a doctor had performed a surgery on him. He had done a uh, staple surgery on his stomach so this man could lose weight. Two days after the surgery, the man got up in the middle of the night, went to the refrigerator at the nurse's station, and ate everything he could get his hands on. Gorged himself to the point where he burst open the staples requiring another surgery. Now he's suing that hospital. He was suing the hospital because there was a refrigerator near his room because the temptation was so great he could not control himself and because his actions were not his own fault. That's skewed reasoning. That's someone taking responsibility off of their own shoulders and placing it on someone else, just like Pilate did. Pilate said, well, I'm going to wash my hands in this uh, uh, figurative action here, saying, I've, I've done all I can do. Now, I can't do any more. So I'm going to place that responsibility onto someone else. Didn't it happen in the garden? Adam and Eve ate from the tree, the one that was forbidden. God came to them. What did He say? He said, have you eaten from the tree? What did Adam say? Yeah, but that woman you gave me, she gave it to me and I ate. He went to Eve and he said, did you eat the tree? Yeah, but the serpent beguiled me, deceived me, and I did eat. At what point in that conversation did anyone shoulder that responsibility and ask God to forgive them and say, I did it. I messed up. I did what I knew I was not supposed to do. Consider this question. Has that mindset 
found its way into the Lord's body? It's here. It's among the churches worldwide. You know, I recently read some statistics, and I don't know if they are even accurate or not, but they make a very great point. I read that 10% of church members cannot be found. 20% of church members do not attend services. 25% do not pray. 35% do not read their Bibles. 40% admit that they never contribute properly or do not contribute at, contribute at all to the treasury of the church. 60% say they never give to any kind of mission. 70% never assume any kind of a responsibility within the body itself. 85% never invite anyone to the Lord's services. 95% have never converted anyone to the body of Christ. And 100% think they're going to heaven. Now, I don't know if these are true or not. But it sounds about right, doesn't it? You know, during Christ's ministry, Jesus was very careful to inform the responsibilities that would be placed upon those who have chosen Him and that wanted to be His disciple. And those responsibilities transcend the initial obedience to the gospel. It goes beyond that. See, when a person becomes a Christian, it is really at that point that the great responsibilities begin. You, that's when we really begin to learn and to grow and to, to understand what we do. Do you remember those reading books? At least I remember them when I was growing up. They were the little golden books. Do you remember those? They had the... Uh, the, the, the engine that said I can and had this and that. And I remember reading about the little red hen. You remember about the little red hen, don't you? No one wanted to help her do the work that would result in sitting at the table and eating the bread, but everybody wanted some of the bread. See, there was a time in our nation when teaching personal responsibility to our children was disguised in the form of a child's book. I used to remember reading those and enjoyed every minute of it and at no time did I realize I was being taught something. But I was. You know, we all have responsibilities in this life. And they all can be tied back to our responsibilities as living as a Christian ought to live. I want us to talk about some responsibilities this morning. I want us to look over some things that God expects out of us, and I want us to be able to apply those things to our lives so that we can be pleasing to Him, so that we can uh, expect to be in heaven one day, so that we can know that we are saved, so that we can be everything that God wants us to be. I want that for us, and I know that you do too. The first responsibility we're going to talk about this morning is the responsibility as, of living as a Christian. That's a responsibility that we have. That's a responsibility that has been placed upon our shoulders because we chose God. Now whether or not we choose God, we still have that responsibility placed upon our shoulders by God Himself. We're either going to live as a Christian and then live eternally, or we're not going to live as a Christian in this life, but we will still live eternally 
but it just simply will not be in heaven. It's very important for the world to know to whom we belong. That is seen in the way we live our lives. That is seen in our actions in this world, in our attitudes, in the way we treat each other. There was once an older lady that had gotten to the point where her health was failing her and and she couldn't drive any longer, but she wanted to attend the services of the Lord's church. Well, that duty fell upon uh, one deacon in particular that that handled that situation with uh, helping people with rides and and others who would volunteer to do that, and that's right to do that. Absolutely. Well, this deacon went by to pick her up one morning, and this one particular morning, uh, or or, uh, rather this one particular uh, uh, Sunday evening, she wasn't ready. And so the deacon got there, and, and she wasn't particularly ready to come out, but she finally came out, and, and when they got to the services of the church, the services were already starting, and they got out of the car, and the deacon was irritated at this woman, and he looked at her and he said, Miss Julie May, you overslept. Why do you bother? You can't hear anything. You can't see anything. What are you getting out of this service? You've made us late. Of course, by the way, when he pulled into the parking lot, they heard the gravels flying and he was upset. Everybody knew he was mad. But what they didn't hear was the reply. And so they they come in and they can see that this deacon obviously had been weeping. And so after the services was over, they went to talk to him and some of them were upset with this deacon and they should have been. And asked him, why, why were you behaving that way? Why did you do that? We heard what you asked her. Well, he gave a reply. With empty eyes full of compassion, he told them what her answer was. Why do you bother coming? Because I want people to know to whom I belong. God bless her. We need for people to understand to whom we belong. And they only understand that through our actions. Through what we do in this life. If each of us were to ask those people in our lives outside of this building, who do you think I belong to? Would they say Christ? That's a question all of us ought to ask, right? Would our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends and our families... If you don't belong to Christ, that can be remedied today. If you have belonged to Christ and you've turned your back on Him, and that happens. It may happen we not even realize it's happening. We may engage and involve ourselves in things and we not even realize we're doing that, but that doesn't make it right and, and we can fix that. Jesus asked His disciples, Mark 4, 21 through 22, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed? And not to be set on a candlestick, for there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad? What's the purpose of a candle? Electricity went out at my house last night. We lit some oil lamps. I didn't put them under the couch. I didn't throw a bushel over the top of them. I wanted some light. I wanted to be able to see what I was doing. I'd been working in the house 
doing some sheetrock. I wanted to take a shower and be able to see what I was doing, right? I needed to shave and I didn't want to cut my uh, lip off. You don't hide a light. You turn it on. You let people see it. Christ also said, You're a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Matthew 5, 14-15 If we behave in our lives without Christian principles, we don't belong to Jesus. That's the bottom line. That's just the hard true facts, isn't it? If we behave in such a way that is not pleasing to God, we don't belong to Him. But we do belong to somebody. It's just not our Lord. We have to demonstrate that. The world will know it, but more importantly, God will know it. And that's who we want to please. But it isn't enough to tell the world to whom we belong. We have to bear fruit along the way. We have to be doing something. We have to be active. We have to show that we love being Christians. You know, a Christian ought to be the happiest person in the world. And you know, have you ever seen those Christians who just sit around with just a sour look on their face all the time? Nothing goes well. There's always a problem. Christians ought to be the happiest people in the world, complaining about something constantly. Why is that? Why is that? We ought to be the happiest people in the world. One day a young minister was uh, being escorted through a coal mine he was looking at. He was uh, touring it. He came to the, to the uh, mouth of that coal mine and he looked back into the darkness and he could see a white flower back there. Man, everything else was covered in soot and coal dust and it was just black and filthy except for that one flower. He said, what in the world is going on here? He said, he looked at the fellow that was, was guiding him and he said, how can something so beautiful be in something so dirty? Well, the young man looked at him and he said, so, throw some dust on it and see for yourself. He threw some dust on it and sure enough, it just fell right off. The petals of that flower were so smooth and just like silk that no dirt or grime would stick to them. What a wonderful illustration. Isn't that how we're supposed to be? That wasn't an accident either, was it? That didn't just happen. That was by design. How are we supposed to live our lives as Christians? Does it just happen? Do, do all, does all of a sudden we decide to we want to be a Christian, we want to be added to the Lord's church, and then all of a sudden nothing in the world is ever going to stick to us again and we don't have to worry about a thing? No, it's by design. We choose to be Christians. We choose to be faithful. We choose not to participate in sinful things. That's what David said. He said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. He said, I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. That's a bold statement, isn't it? That's a courageous statement. It's a whole lot easier just to go along to get along, isn't it? It's just a whole lot easier just to ignore and just to not do what we know is right. When we prepare ourselves to bear fruit, that's what happens in our lives. When we're bearing fruit, something like that, the sins of the world are not going to cleave to us, they're not going to stick to us. Jesus told a parable on one occasion about a barren fig tree, Luke 13, 6-9. 
This, this fig tree wasn't bearing any fruit. So the, the owner of the fig tree told the servant, said, go cut the fig tree down. It's not bearing fruit. He said, wait a minute, let's not cut it just yet. He said, let me go dig around it and fertilize it and let's give it another year and let's see if it'll bear fruit then. What do we gain from that? Even a barren tree can bear fruit if it's properly fertilized. Even someone who has drifted off into sin can come back to God if properly fertilized. We can turn our lives around and make a choice to do that which is right. It's not always easy, but boy is it worth it. Sometimes we become like a barren fig tree, don't we? But it can be fixed. We can fix that. Christians have a personal responsibility in living as Christians. But they also have a personal responsibility. We have a personal responsibility, not just living as a Christian, but applying that which we've learned. That's a responsibility. That's all part of bearing fruit, isn't it? But how do we do that? How do we apply that which we've learned? We may know something academically. We may know how to become a Christian, yet we don't do that. We may know how to behave in our interactions with each other, and we may not do that. We may know to study the Word of God, yet we may not do that. So how do we make application? How do we apply what we've learned? We add it to our lives. We make it a part of us. We simply make it a part of us. Just like we make anything else a part of us. In our working careers, how often do we just decide that, well, I'm going to start going into work late all the time or I'm going to start taking Wednesdays off every Wednesday. And all of a sudden I decide I'm taking six weeks of vacation every year. How many of us have ever been blessed with an opportunity to be able to decide that? That's normally up to the employer, isn't it? No, you'll get one week or two weeks or how many ever weeks it is. You're going to work five days. If you want to take Wednesday off, take the other four off as well because I don't need you, right? But how are we able to do that? We add it to our lives. It becomes a part of us, doesn't it? Look, we simply get up in the morning we go to work. Why can't we do that as Christians? Why can't we just wake up in the morning and add Christianity to our lives? Be what He wants us to be. We add it to our lives whether it's the plan of salvation, whether it's the second law of pardon, or whether it's growing in the Christian graces. It's all a part of our lives. If we add it, that's how we apply it. That's what Jesus expects. Speaking on the responsibility, Jesus warned. He said, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Have you ever pondered on that verse a little bit? That's an amazing statement. Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. What's he talking about? What are we hearing? Well, it could be anything. Right? It could be anything. But particularly in this context, it's the gospel. It's the truth, the word of God. 
Now the, the effort I put in hearing it, that same will be measured out and delivered to me in my understanding. If I put no effort in trying to hear, I won't understand. If I have the personal responsibility of dedicating myself to understanding what God wants from me, He will deliver that same measure of understanding to me. It's responsibility, right? We have to be responsible. James commanded this. He said, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man, observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Christ said, be careful what you hear. James said, be careful what you hear, but also do what you hear. Add that to your life. That's what we're talking about. That means there must be action. There's got to be some action. Something has to be happening in our lives. The writer of Hebrews condemned the Christian Jews for that. He said, there's a time now you ought to be teaching people, but you're still having to be taught. You're not understanding. You're not putting forth that measure of desire to know so you can teach. See, exactly what Jesus was talking about. If a Christian is going to fulfill one of the responsibilities of the church, or if he can fulfill one of the responsibilities, shouldn't he feel obligated to do that? Shouldn't we feel obligated to do our part? If that isn't happening, there's no action in our lives, right? We need action. Whether that's teaching a Bible class, whether that's uh, helping in some other way, whether it's preaching or singing, leading songs or prayers or uh, uh, picking up the cards. We need to feel obligated to do that. After all, if we're not growing and producing, we're barren, aren't we? Peter addressed that, Second Peter 1, 5-7. through 7. He talked about all those things that we know as the Christian graces. Add this, add that, add that. He says, if you do that, you'll never be barren. You'll always be producing fruit. See, that's how we apply that to our lives. It's very apparent that Jesus expects each of us to be responsible in our living and in our applying the things that we learn. But He absolutely wants us to be responsible in our working. Each of us has a talent or talents that can be useful to the church. We've all got them. Some have more than others, but we've all got at least one. We see that in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. You know, there's a story told about an inner city congregation who had uh, newly converted a Puerto Rican lady. And she went to the preacher and she wanted to be able to participate. She wanted to help. She wanted to, to, to do something for the church. And so he asked her, he said, what are your talents? She said, well, I don't think I have any talents. He said, well, what about this? They just so happened to run a bus ministry, and he said, can you ride on the bus and, and help watch the children? Yes, I can do that. Now, she could speak barely any English. So she began to ride on the bus, and when she got on the bus and began to do that, she, she hunted out the, the, the child that looked the most neglected out of the group. And she would grab that child up and sit that baby on her lap and, 
And all she could say, the only English that she could say really that could be understood was, Jesus loves you and I do too. And she did that. She would pick that child up. She would take that child into services, sit that baby on her lap during worship, and she would lean over and say, Jesus loves you and I do too. What a wonderful talent. Well, someone looks at that and says, you know, that's not much of a talent. Well, just so happened sometime later, that young boy's mother beat him to death. Now, in this life, he did not receive the love of Christ except from one person. Jesus loves you, and I do too. What a talent. What a talent. That's what Jesus expects from us. That's... All of us have that. We all are able to use that talent because Jesus gave it to us. If we don't do what we are able to do, we're shortchanging God and we're not living up to our responsibilities. God didn't shortchange any of us, did He? He gave His only begotten Son. While we were yet sinners, He died for us. He gave His life. He, he was mistreated. He was beaten to death. He was nailed on a cross. He, he was terribly mistreated. But we have a talent. One of those talents is being able to teach. Now, I don't necessarily mean teaching a Bible class. Not everyone has a talent to do that. Some are better at it than others. But we can teach with our lives. Isn't that what Peter was talking about when he was talking to Christian wives in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2? You have the opportunity to convert your unbelieving husband by your chaste conversation, by your faithful lifestyle. And we've all heard the saying, I would rather see a sermon any day than hear one, right? A friend of mine who's a long-time preacher and missionary told me the time his grandmother illustrated for him, 1 Timothy 4.16. Now that verse says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Take heed unto thyself, watch what you're doing, pay attention to the doctrine, and when you do that, you're going to save not only yourself, but maybe someone else. Now listen to the illustration. He's about 80 years old, 81 years old now. And uh, growing up, he would visit his grandmother, and she had a, a wood cook stove, and she had a slop bucket beside the stove. That's where you put the scraps. And you'd take it out and feed the hog or the dog or whatever was going to eat that slop bucket. And they were reading the Bible one day. She was one of his greatest teachers, and she looked at him and she said, Jimmy, nobody wants to get their biscuits out of the slop bucket. Isn't that true? No one wants to hear someone tell you how to be a faithful Christian when they're living in the slop bucket. Take heed unto yourself and to the doctrine. In doing that, you'll save yourself and maybe someone else. We can all teach because we can all live like God wants us to live. You know, I heard a tale one time as preacher ran into a store and he was in a hurry. And he came out and he noticed that the cashier gave him too much money. He said, well, I can do one of two things. I can go back in right now and make it right. 
I can leave and come back through later and, and make it right, or I can just forget the whole thing. People make mistakes all the time. Well, he chose to do the right thing, so he went in and he made it right. And He, he told the, the little girl at the cash register, he said, you made a mistake, you gave me too much money. And She looked at him with a big tear rolling down her eyes, and she said, it wasn't a mistake at all. She said, I was sitting in the back last Sunday, and you were preaching, and you were talking about honesty, and I wanted to know if you really meant it. And so he gave her the money back. We teach by the way we live our lives. It's our responsibility to teach. There's no way around it. Paul admonished Timothy, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. We teach in word and lifestyle, and that's our responsibility as Christians. Responsibility is not something to be afraid of or to shirk from. Fulfilling responsibilities to God is its an honor for the faithful, isn't it? Each of us must honor our abilities by utilizing them and helping to grow the church and, and bringing others. If we do not do that, guess what we're doing? We're washing our hands just like Pilate did. Don't wash your hands. Just simply do the work. Like those who were given their talents, when the Master returns, we're going to make an account of how we used them. Did we bury them in the ground? If you realize that you've been lacking in your responsibility, whether it's living the Christian life, maybe you haven't done that correctly. Maybe you haven't been applying what you've been learning. or Maybe we just haven't been working like we ought to be working. Repent of that. Don't allow sin to separate you from heaven because it will. Even those little sins that we don't think are too bad, they'll separate us from heaven. We need to be aware of that. If you're not a Christian, obey the gospel plan of salvation today. Show your responsibility toward God. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, please do that as we stand and as we sing.